Is it okay to admit we have doubts about our faith? Today we are going to doubt our doubts and cover questions asked by our listeners. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host Tyler Hurley. How's it going, Tyler? It's going good. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about doubts asked by our listeners and yes yeah and we're, we're really really looking forward into getting into um, just some questions that were uh, pitched to us by some of our insiders and we have some answers for you but before we get into that we always have a coffee tip right yeah we've been doing them at the end of the episode just to keep people engaged but today we're going to throw it right up at the front yes so for your coffee tip today is to sit down Drink a cup of coffee and buckle up <laughs> as we get into these answers for your doubts. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm I'm really excited <laughs> about this because this is kind of our first uh, uh, question and answer episode that we've ever done. Yeah, it's so kind of cool. It is cool. And we've yeah. had some really good questions come in. Um, but if you're not an insider, if you're not one of our Facebook group, co- Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders, then you couldn't even ask questions. Mm, because that's true. this is an exclusive. This is only for Christ Culture. Uh, culture and coffee insiders so if you're not a part of that facebook group please go uh, ask to be a part of it now we are going to make you give us a review uh and a rating on itunes so just know going in you're gonna have to spend about 30 seconds of your time uh giving Mm. us a review on itunes but once you do that we'll let you be in the group and then you can see the exclusive content in there we've got a we've got a podcast episode that's only available uh through the facebook group Uh, and also we post questions and there's some really good dialogue that goes on in there too so you definitely want to be a part of that so go sign up to be a christ culture and coffee insider on facebook Yes, go and do that because like Robbie said, that's the only way that you can have access to exclusive events and content just like this podcast today. You could not have possibly given us a question that we would answer on the show unless you were an insider. Yep, definitely. It's one of the perks of being an insider. So coffee tip. I loved it, Tyler. Get a cup of coffee. Buckle up because here we go. It's time to dive into these questions. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Well, one of our insiders named Brendan asked this question. He said, a common question I get asked is, how is God able to feel regret, remorse, and repentance? Shouldn't God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence prevent a feeling of regret, having already foreknown the transpiring events? Genesis 6-6, and looking forward, uh, he says he's looking forward to the next episode. So Genesis 6-6 is, is where Jesus, or where God says he, re- he regrets ever making man, right? Mm. Um, so there are a ton of verses in the Bible that talk about this. Um, there are a lot of verses that say things like, God changes his mind. Uh, Exodus 32-14, Numbers 14-11, Deuteronomy 9-13-14, 1 Chronicles 21-15, and about 15 others that I found. God changes his mind, Tyler. Hmm. How can he change his mind? If he is omniscient, which means, if you're not a theologian out there, omniscience means all-knowing, right? He knows all things, okay? So if God knows all things, how can he change his mind? There are other scriptures that say God regrets, like we said, Genesis 6-6, 1 Samuel 15, 10-11, Ezekiel 22, 29-31. How can God regret, right? But the Bible clearly says that he does. 
There's other verses uh, that Brendan didn't mention, but they say that God is surprised. Hmm. Isaiah 5, 3 through 7, Jeremiah 3, 6 through 7. Other passages say God didn't know what people would do. It insinuates that. Uh, Jeremiah 7, 31, 1 Kings 22, 20 through 22. Um, there are other verses that say God tests people to learn what they will do. Wait a second. If he knows everything, why does he need to test people to know what they'll do, right? Mm, yeah. Isn't that interesting? And one of the common uh, places that that we know of this from is when Abraham was was willing to sacrifice Isaac, right? Yeah. And the angel stops him and says, now God knows that you're willing. Wait a second. How did God not know before, right? Like that's a, that's that's kind of a weird— Yeah, if he's all-knowing. If he's all-knowing, right? something that he expected, yeah. Yep, and then sometimes in Scripture, it seems like God shows uncertainty about the future, all right? Mm-hmm. Hosea 8.5, Exodus 4.9, Exodus 13.17. So you've got a lot of these types of verses uh, that go along with Brendan's question. And how is it that God, who knows all things, is present in all places, and is all-powerful, can have feelings of regret, remorse, or repentance? It's a good question. It is a good question. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, I think that um, the big answer to this is that God wants to communicate with human beings, correct? Mm. Yeah. He uses human language when he's speaking to us, even in his word, right? The Bible's always been written in human language. It was in Hebrew, Greek, parts were in Aramaic, right? And now we translate it to English or Spanish or whatever because God wants to communicate to humans. Mm. And the way you do that is through human language. <laughs> Otherwise, we couldn't understand it. Yeah. Now, with that, there is this, this thing that's called anthropomorphic language. Anthropos means mankind, right? Man. Mm-hmm. So anthropomorphic language is the, attribu- uh, the attribution of human traits or emotions or intentions to non-human entities. Mm. And we do this all the time in story. Um, we do it. We do it when we're describing certain things, you know. Yeah. Um, but but the Bible does this with God. Okay. Um, now we know there's passages in the Psalms where uh, it says that the, you know the mighty hand of God. Mm, yeah. But wait a second. God's a spirit. He doesn't have a hand. Does that make <laughs> that, sense? That's true. It does. It's yeah. What about God? Yeah. He's a mighty fortress. He's not literally a fortress. Right. Doesn't, but but they're, they're, they're and people using, aren't asking that because when you read that exactly you understand you're like okay yeah yes. there's yeah it's 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 using language to give us an understanding of what God is he's not literally mm. a fortress but he is something that protects right right he's he's mm. something that's safe that kind of an idea so when it comes to these types of uh, passages about him changing his mind having regrets being surprised um, testing people to learn what they would do. It's anthropomorphic language. It's God explaining himself and his emotions in a way that we would understand as human beings. Mm. It doesn't yeah. mean God doesn't know what's going to happen. Of course he knows what's going to happen. He knows all actual and he knows all possible. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. But to, to explain to us and, and to, to come down to our level and dialogue with us, this is the kind of thing that, that God would need to do, right? Um, we, th- this, this only makes sense if he's going to communicate uh, with humans, right? It does, yeah. Again, 
tons of passages about the eyes of the Lord, right? I'll stretch mm. out my hand. He doesn't have hands or an eye. He tells us yeah. explicitly God's spirit, right? It makes sense, because thinking about these uh, these doubts, like in questions of how God's used this wording of changing his mind or regretting through the yes. past, it, it gives context to his emotion and his mindset behind doing these things. Otherwise, we would just see it as pretty cut and dry, like this is just the way things are because God willed it, right? Yes. Which that is true to an extent, but you, you can't under, we as human beings can't understand his emotional aspects without yes. him reaching it down to our level with our language yes. and giving us terms like this, like regret, remorse. Well, and the, uh, the other side yeah. of it is too, is this, this is emotional language. Mm, yeah. So think about this, Tyler. Um, just because God knows a bad thing that is going to happen mm-hmm. doesn't mean he's glad about it. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? So for him to say, I regret, I'm remorseful, I wish that this wouldn't have, it's mm-hmm. emotional, He, he and he, he really means that, right? Yeah. He doesn't want humans to destroy themselves through sin. Yeah. Does that make sense? Even it though does. he yeah. knew every sin that every human being was ever going to commit, it doesn't mean that he's excited and happy about it. So sometimes when when these questions come up about, well, if he regrets or if he's remorseful, how how can he be if he knows all things? Just because you know all things doesn't mean you're happy about all mm, things. Yeah. And I think that's a big point. Like just because God can foreknow what's coming in the future, it's it's like I can remember, right? Mm. I, I can't foreknow, but I can remember. I yeah, can do it yeah. to the past, but I can't do it to the future. <laughs> okay? Mm. So in the past, I can remember things that happened that I regret or that I'm remorseful of, right? And mm. some of those things I wasn't the cause of. Mm, yeah. Some of them I was, but some of them I wasn't. And just because God can foreknow certain things in the future uh, about our bad choices or about what humans will do to each other doesn't mean he caused it, and it doesn't mean that he's happy about it. So I don't think that there's a big mm. problem with him explaining that he he wants things to be different. Yeah. I think that this language actually implies the free will of humans. Mm, Does that yeah. make sense? Like I agree. It, it implies agree. that he wants it to be differently, but he allows us to make choices. I agree. It makes That, I think, is a really good explanation to this language because when you think about it, of course, yeah, like you said, Robbie, he's not going to want these horrible horrible things to happen in, uh, to our lives and well, like caused by sin and corruption, but mm-hmm. he allows sin and corruption in our lives because we chose that, and that's yes. an act of free will. But, he, but obviously that wasn't his plan from the beginning. No. Even though he right. knew it was going to happen, he didn't cause it to happen. He, he actually made everything good because he can't make things evil. Mm. So yeah. that's, that's how I'd answer that one, Brendan. Um, yeah, I think that— No, I think that's great. I, I think that's a great answer. Cool. It is. Well, let's move on to the second question we've got. This comes from Megan. And Tyler, you've got this question. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Megan, uh, just again, one of our insiders, like all the rest of these, asked, are other religions going to heaven? Are Jews or Muslims going to heaven because they too believe in the Bible? So that was the question that Megan had asked. And um, so I guess the best way to break this down is to kind of think about it in three different parts. So the first aspect of this question, she, uh, she asks, are other religions going to heaven, right? Uh, and I guess to come to an understanding of salvation for anyone, regardless of their worldview, we should look into what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So Jesus makes an exclusive claim that he is the only way to the Father. Now, notice in that passage, Jesus doesn't add, or if you are a good person. So he doesn't say, no one comes to the Father except through me, or if you're a good person, or, or if you believe in the Bible. Uh, he's simply implying that salvation can only come through him. So uh, in answering the first part of this question, other religions are not going to heaven because they contradict what Jesus said about him being the only way. So when we think about this, it, it as a term in terms of salvation for all, not even just Jews and Muslims that were mentioned in this mm -hmm. question, people just can't get to heaven unless you go through Jesus as yeah, there's your savior. no other sacrifice, right? There's not. There's not. There's literally. It's not that God doesn't want people. It's there's literally no other way to be forgiven. Exactly. Yes. And so, so that's that's the key to salvation is Jesus. So mm -hmm. that's first and foremost. I just wanted to establish that into this question. Um, and like I said, there's multiple parts. So I guess the second part of this question um, would be to focus on uh, the statement that Jews and Muslims. Uh, uh, asking, are Jews and Muslims going to heaven because they believe in the Bible? So Jews and Muslims may claim that, by, that the Bible is a part of their sacred text, but Jesus is not the path of salvation to them. So, uh, for example, Jews, uh, they're still waiting for the coming of who they think the Messiah will be because they don't think it was Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? So, um, for, so for Jews, they're, they're, they have a completely different view of salvation. And it's if Jesus is the only way— and they don't believe in that, then they can't get to get into heaven, right? Yeah. And so, based off of what Jesus said. So, and then um, with that, thinking through Muslims, which that's a whole different extreme too, but thinking of, of Muslims as um, getting to heaven for their belief in the Bible, they say that um, basically they don't put, believe that putting your faith in Jesus will get you into heaven. What Muslims believe is that Allah is the only one who can get you into heaven, as well as Muhammad, if you live a good life according to the Quran. Yeah, yeah, they have the five pillars, right? And yeah. You have to do all these works, the Hajj, mm -hmm. the Shahada, um, Psalm, uh, all of those things. Yep. Yeah, there's so much that goes into this. And then, uh, I mean, just with Muslims alone, like we could unpack like a whole separate podcast. I mean, we have a podcast on Islam, mm -hmm. uh, but like... Uh, on just their beliefs, but there's a whole lot that a Muslim believes that gets them to heaven in their salvation. Yeah, and it's workspace. It is, yeah, and it's not through Jesus. Nope. Uh, Muslims believe that these little angels on your shoulders, one is good and one is bad on the other, that they track your deeds and they mm -hmm. report to Allah. And basically Allah, according to a Muslim, uh, in his wisdom, can just deny entry of uh, uh, to uh, for a person to heaven just based off of any one sin in their life. Yeah, even if you did more good than bad, yeah. which is what's supposed to get you in, uh, you're not guaranteed. Yeah. And Allah could say, nah, you're going to hell anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And so th there's just no security nope. in salvation there for isn't. a Muslim. Yep, yep. So that, that definitely, again, just because you believe in the Bible doesn't get anyone into heaven. Right, Not yeah. even Christians, right? Yeah, it's not belief in the Bible. But no. the thing is, is that Muslims don't even really believe in the Bible because if they believed in the Bible, they would believe what Jesus says when he That's says exactly that he's the right. only way. They, they actually teach that they, they call it the Injil. It means the Gospels. Right. Uh, they believe that the Gospels are corrupt and that what they say isn't true. And after the time of the apostles, they were all messed up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a good point. It's like thinking through. They don't really believe in the Bible. No. Well, and Jews don't don't believe in the New Testament. They don't. 
And so, and again, belief in yeah. the Bible doesn't get anybody into heaven. Oh, it doesn't. Belief yeah. in Jesus is the only thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's his that's words the point. and what he says and who he claimed to be. Yes. So that that's what gets you into heaven. And Jews and Muslims don't believe in that. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the statement that he made when he said that he is the only way into heaven. That's right. And again, I think I think we've said it, but believing in the Bible doesn't get Christians into heaven. It doesn't. Atheists yeah. believe in the Bible. I mean, what is believing in the Bible, right? Mm. Believing that it's true or believing that it exists? Because everybody, mm. I think, knows the Bible exists, right? It's not right. even a belief yeah. I have. I just know it exists. So what are we talking about here? And forgiveness of sins, like Jesus said, can only come through him. Exactly. And that, that leads us into the, the third aspect of this question I wanted to break down. It's that um, the question presupposes the idea that everyone is worthy of going to heaven or that all should be allowed in, especially if you are a good person, right? Because mm-hmm. when, you, when you think about that, uh, it, it does presuppose the idea that Muslims and Jews should get to go to heaven. Yeah, and, and maybe, I, I don't know what Megan was asking yeah, exactly yeah. with this, but yeah, that comes across sometimes when people ask these types of questions. Yeah, like, that often it's does. It's so awful to think only one group of people is going to get in, and not another group, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, um, uh, condescending or, or something. Or yeah. you're so exclusive. But Jesus is the one who's exclusive. He's the right. one saying there's no other way. That's that's the point there. Yeah, it's like to think about it in that aspect, it's thinking um, of uh, in terms of salvation, even Christians aren't worthy of getting into heaven. That's that's no. something to point out. It's that no, no one is. That's the thing. Even people who have believed in Jesus uh, don't deserve heaven, but they are given access to heaven through the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. That's right. And I think I think it's important here, because again, I don't know all our listeners. Mm. I don't know. I don't know most of our listeners, to be honest. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you're out there and 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 you want to know what the gospel is for Christians, it's this. We're all a mess, and we're in sin, is what the Bible calls it. We're all imperfect, mm. and all of us know that. We all mess up, and we do things that go against true morality. This is, is a problem because God can't be with people who are imperfect. He can't yeah. be in the presence of sinners. So our sin has separated us from God, and Jesus came and lived a perfect life. So there was nothing that he needed to pay for of his own. He didn't need to die uh, uh, for himself because there was no crimes he'd committed. Hmm. But he died in place of us uh, as, as the substitution for us. And doing so, he paid my penalty and your penalty and the penalty for all people for all time. And now that penalty is paid and he offers the gift of eternal life to us. Hmm. He says, if you believe in me, if you trust that I did that for you, I will give you eternal life. I will give you my righteousness. So he takes our imperfection and dies for it and he offers us his perfection mm, so yeah. that not only were, were my debts paid for and my account was brought up to a zero balance, but now I'm given his righteousness and my account's taken to a billion trillion dollars. Does that make sense? Yeah there's, yeah. there's two things going on there. And when I believe in him, his righteousness is applied to my account, which makes me qualified for being in God's presence. Mm. And that, that's the key. There's yeah. no other way. There's no yeah, other way yeah. to gain that other than the gift that Jesus will give. And what he wants you to do isn't work and isn't give him thirty nine ninety five, you know, for this amazing <laughs> prayer shawl. It's trust that I did that for you. Mm, he wants yeah. you to, to trust him. 
He wants you to believe in, in what he did for you. Acknowledge what he did for you. That's that's what Jesus yeah. is asking. Yeah, that's the key. It's that like no like Robbie said, like no one though is deserving of it. It's just through what Jesus offers. That's right. So a Jew and a Muslim or a Christian or atheist, no one deserves heaven. And so um Jesus, through the free gift based off of God's love, grace, and mercy, is what gets people into heaven. And that's, that's right. just that's the gospel. Yeah. That's the gospel. So, good answer, uh, uh, Tyler, and good question, <laughs> Megan, because that is that is a complex question. And a lot of people ask that, but Jesus is the only way. Um, and now, w- with that too, he he, mm. he is no respecter to different races or cultures or. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, he loves all people from all cultures, from all time. But the only way to be in God's presence is through trusting in what Jesus did for you. Mm. All right, let's move on to our next question. Uh, this one comes from Perry. And Perry said, Robbie and Tyler, how would you respond to someone whose spouse recently died and they are very disturbed to hear that they will no longer be married to their deceased spouse in heaven? Mm. Now, that seems like it would be a struggle, right? Yeah. Um, There's a couple of things here. It is correct that we won't be married in heaven, and I'm basing this on what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 29 through 30. Uh, This is when the Sadducees came to Jesus, and they asked him a question about marriage in heaven. And Jesus responded to them, and he said, You're mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So clearly from the lips of Jesus, there is not marriage in the resurrection, hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, it, could, it couldn't be clearer. So there is no marriage in heaven. Now, when people have a spouse that died, and, and this causes them strife to hear that they won't be married in heaven, what they're thinking is that they won't have intimacy with this person in heaven, that they won't be close to this person, right? And they this is the person that they've loved, you know, typically. They've loved the most in their life. Mm, yeah. And so to think, man, we're not going to have this same covenantal relationship in heaven, it bums them out. And I get that. But what they're not thinking of is that their relationship with their spouse will be better in heaven than it was here, hmm. even without being in a covenantal uh, relationship with them. And here's why. Um, the, the, the covenant of marriage is for this life. We even say in our marriage vows, until death do us part. Right. right. That's, that's when the contract's up. That's when we've, we've kept our end of the bargain. We've been faithful to death, right? Mm, yeah. But in the resurrection, it's a different mode of existence, and we're not going to need to procreate, mm-hmm. so there's not going to be a need for marriage. Now people say, well, come on, what about companionship? What about what? I didn't say there's not a need for companionship. Right. Right? Yeah. But there's not a need for this type of marriage to procreate and fill the earth, like was the first blessing that God gave us in Genesis. Mm. The other thing is, is that people, think about this, Tyler. In our lives, we get hurt by other people, right? Mm-hmm. We get made fun of and on the playground at school, right? Maybe you didn't. I didn't go to school, but you know, I still got me. I didn't either. So, (laughs) oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) We were both homeschooled. I'm sorry if that offends anybody out there, but get over it. Uh, (laughs) But, um, but, but you get made fun of, right? I played, I played junior high basketball. I played, you know, uh, sports through high school. I play, and 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 people are mean, right? Yeah. And it's not just it's not just uh, people out there. It's friends. It's family. The people that are closest to you are the people that can hurt you the most, Mm, right? And so as we walk through life, we guard ourselves. 
and we call these these different ways of guarding ourselves, you know, pretenses, right? Mm. We put masks up of protection, right? Yeah. We act certain ways, and I'm I'm sure there are certain ways that I act that I do as a protection for myself to guard myself from other people that I don't even realize I do anymore. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. When we get to heaven and all sin is stripped away, an aspect of that is pretense, which is kind of like a soft lie, mm. right? Yeah. That'll be gone. And I will, for the first time, be able to know completely my good friends, and my family, and my spouse. Because their pretense will be gone. There mm. will be no guarding yeah. from me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I won't have those pretenses or those masks up in my life either. So mm. not only will I be able to know them in, for who they really are, but for the first time in my life, I'll be able to let people know who I really am. That's You know what? That's that's a great, great answer, Robbie. Does that make I, sense? It does, yeah, because, I, I mean, just speaking honestly from my perspective, I know I have those pretenses. I with, do too. With everybody. It's like it, you... Everybody reserves themselves in some way out of like caution or because uh, out of fear mm-hmm. or something going on. But that, but the stem issue of that is sin. Yep, that's it's a, either that's my my sin to lie or other people's sin that hurts me that causes me to hide. Mm, yeah, but again, Tyler, think about it. The first thing Adam and Eve did after they sinned was hide. Do you see that's this is the human condition. We hide ourselves it's, because it's we don't trust nature. other people with ourselves. For the first time, when when that's all gone, we'll be able to be fully known and to fully know others. So you will have a better relationship in eternity with your spouse than you do right now. Because that will yeah, be gone. That's right? It's almost like on day one you'll have a better relationship. Yeah, that's so great. when people are are uh, sad or disturbed to hear they're no longer be married, I, I would explain this to them, Perry, that they'll have a better relationship with everyone in heaven, better than they can with the closest person in this life, the person they're closest to in this life. Hmm. So that helps me to think about it. Um, and it, and it kind of makes some sense, too. It makes sense why Jesus would let us in on that, that there isn't marriage in heaven. So good question, Perry. I, I really do. I like that question a lot. That's great. All right, now moving on. This is where I hope you've been drinking a strong cup of coffee because yes. this is a question. The caffeine better have kicked in. By yeah, now. this is go. a little uh, heady, but we're going to go for it because it's <laughs> really important. So Stephen asked, how does one's spirit, soul, and the physical brain coexist, such as in the case of a person who's diagnosed with schizophrenic, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disease, sociopathic, etc.? What is return to the Lord when we die? Isn't it our souls? But then how is that affected by the physical brain if the soul is immaterial? Okay? Mm, so yeah. this is where we get really nerdy and philosophical. Okay? <laughs> now, uh, as Christians, we believe that there's a physical aspect of a human being, correct? Yeah. I'd and say we so. believe that there's an immaterial aspect, correct? Yes. And we see this all the way back. God formed us from the dust, we're mud balls. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we're part <laughs> dirt. And he breathed into us the breath of life, the pneuma, the spirit. Right? So we're immaterial and material. That's what a human being is. But what is our soul? That's the question that we, we want to ask. And um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about here comes from a phenomenal book by one of my old professors, J.P. Moreland. He wrote a book that you mm-hmm. need to get. It's called The Soul. 
The Soul by J.P. Moreland. And he goes through what our soul consists of and, and kind of how it operates. Mm-hmm. And then how does our soul interact with our physical body? And that's what Stephen's getting after here. So this is the big idea. Uh, our soul is what's called in philosophy a substance, okay? A substance. Um, it is who we are. Um, I am Ravi Lashua, right? My soul is a part of me. It is me. Hmm. That's who I am. As a substance of my soul, um, my, I can't be uh, in two places at once, right? Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, that's, that is true, right? <laughs> um, uh, there's not a part of me in you, Tyler, right? Hmm. I, I am a substance. I'm a unity of parts, a unity of properties, a unity of uh, potentialities in hmm. my immaterial being, Okay. So that is what the soul is. And this is the way that Moreland described it to us. He said, it's like you are a a big circle or you can imagine yourself as like a dresser drawers. Okay. You're the substance and the structure. And then in the drawers Mm -hmm. are different aspects or properties of your soul. So a human soul, which I happen to have, Mm -hmm. and you do too. (laughs) <laughs> a human soul has properties within it. Now, um, properties are an existent reality is what it means. Now, think about this. Um, do you know what purpleness is? I don't think I can describe purpleness. But you recognize it, right? I know what purple is. You yeah. wear GCU shirts and they're purple. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's purpleness in GCU shirts because Grand Canyon University's primary color is purple, mm-hmm. right? However, there's purpleness not just in GCU t-shirts, but there's purpleness out in the world all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. So, see, this is the difference between a substance and a property. A substance, like my soul, is only located to me. Mm-hmm. But there's properties that are all over the place, like purple is all over the place. Mm, or, yeah. or grayness is all over the place. It's in a whole bunch of different things. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. But my substance of Robbie Lashwa's soul, it isn't in a whole bunch of things. Okay? Yeah. So my substance has a bunch of properties that are parts of other things, especially parts of other human souls. Hmm. Now, properties are unchangeable. Uh, They come and go, but they do not change in their nature. And properties have to be had by other things more basic than they are, meaning they have to be had by a substance. Okay, now that sounds crazy, but think about this. Yeah. Purpleness is had by your GCU shirt. Yeah, that's true. And there are a lot of GCU shirts out there, but there's only your one GCU shirt, and it's not in a bunch of places at one time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So now there are human souls out there, and we all have uh, things in common with human souls as a specific thing with specific properties. But you, Tyler Hurley, you're the only one of you. Yeah. So you're the substance and you have properties. Just like your GCU shirt is the shirt, but it has properties, such as softness or purpleness. Or shirts lose their colors sometimes, too. That's true. That happens. That is true. So they lose their properties. The property changed. Well, it changes. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. it changed. (laughs) Yep. And then they have another color property. That's correct. Okay, so... With all that in mind, I know that that this is a really long way to answer uh, this question. It works. But within our human souls, we have different um, faculties, okay? We have different uh, properties. For instance, we have um, a cluster 
of properties that we would call the sensory properties or the sensory faculties, right? Mm. Like sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing. Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? You have all those? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> most humans have those, okay? Uh, if, they're pro- if they're working properly. That's true. Okay? Now here's the thing. A lot of people will say, well, those are physical things, but mm. they're not. Now think about this, and this is where it gets very interesting. I use my eyes to see, mm-hmm. right? But it isn't my eyes that are seeing. My physical eyeballs are the instrument I use to see, but it's me seeing. And you can prove this because I could tell everybody, unless you're driving out there, close your eyes and imagine a pink Bengal tiger. Did it. Yeah, and you can do that. You can see a pink tiger without using your eyes. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. So what's the thing that's seen? Mm. It's your soul. It's the aspect of your soul that is your sight portion of your soul or sight faculty. Um, You also see when you're dreaming and your eyes are completely shut. That's true. What is seen? You. Yeah, your your soul. It's you that's and that seen, gets Tyler. into like memories, like when you can picture them in your mind. Well, yeah, because and that's and that even kind of gets into the question here, mm-hmm. right? What? How does the brain operate with the soul? Well, here's the deal, right. folks. You can splice brains. I know a guy who splices brains, human wow. brains, and there are not memory codes in the brain. Mm. So where are memories located? How can I how can I recall certain things from the past? Well, they're not they're not located in my brain because if they were, I could open them up and I could see them. Yeah, that right. Makes sense. Or I could see the code. It's mm. not in the gray matter. There's just electrons firing in there. So then, where is it then? If it's not in a physical property, where my memories are is they are in my mind, which is an aspect of my soul. Your mind yeah. and your brain aren't the same thing. Mm. That's why uh, Greg Kokel always says, if people ask to pick your brain, say, no, you can pick my mind, but you can't pick my brain. I don't want you going inside my head. You know, that's kind of funny. But it's true. Yeah. And another, so another faculty of the soul, we have our sense, uh, sensory faculties. Um, we have our mind, which is where we reason, mm-hmm. right? Where we, where we think. Another aspect of our soul is our emotions, Right? Yeah. Experiencing fear, experiencing love, experiencing anger or empathy. Think about this. It's not your physical body that experiences those things. It's your soul that mm, experiences those things. The other, if, and you can get really weird and say, what, what are emotions? Now, we know when I say love, you know what the feeling is. When I say hate, you know what the feeling is. Right? Mm-hmm. But what really is it? We can relate to each other because we've both gone through the experience. But what is it? Well, it's, it's a conscious feel. Hmm. Isn't it? What, it is, what's yeah. the difference? Think about this. What's the difference between anxiety and dread? <laughs> we both know there's a difference, right? Yeah. But how? What is it? Well, it's a different type of feel. And you know, isn't what's that weird? But yeah. it's not a physical feel. You know what's interesting too? The only way that you can explain anxiety to someone is by giving examples of things that have made you anxious. Yeah. Exactly, and we know what it is. Right, it is yeah. a soulish thing. Uh, another aspect of our soul is our conscience. This is the faculty of our soul that has moral awareness. Mm. This is the thing that makes us feel the emotion of guilt when we do something we shouldn't. Even before we learn things are bad, we have this moral compass called a conscience <laughs> that helps us. No, <laughs> no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You should. What is that? It's not a physical property. It's an aspect of our soul. 
Another aspect of our soul is our will, right? This is the aspect, the faculty of our soul, that has the ability to freely choose and make decisions, Hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, and it's not just a physical thing because if you were tied up to a chair but you didn't know you were tied up to a chair, you would tell yourself to raise your arm or to stand up, right? Yeah. Even though you physically couldn't. So what's the thing in you saying to stand? Hmm. It's not your physical body. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now again, yeah. everybody attributes this stuff to the brain. Um, but it's not harbored in the brain because um, your mind and your brain aren't the same thing. And there's been numerous tests to prove this uh, completely, completely wrong. Another, another mm. aspect of your soul is your spirit. And this, okay. uh, J.P. Moreland talks about, is your ability to engage in an intimate awareness with God and the supernatural world. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. He says this is what gets regenerated at salvation. This relationship with God aspect gets turned back on and fixed because it physically, it it not physically, it died at the fall, spiritual death. Yeah. But it gets That's turned right. back on when we're regenerated. Very interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this this aspect called the soul. However, it does work in conjunction with our body. Right? Yeah. yeah my my sense. soul, this is really weird. My immaterial soul is spatially located in my body. Yeah, it is. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's not just in one aspect of my body. It's in my whole body. Because think about this. What if you got your arm amputated or you lost a leg in war? Did you lose part of your soul? No. No, you didn't. Because it's an immaterial thing, right? Yeah. But it is present in your entire body. It's very, it's very yeah. fascinating to think about uh, the soul. Now, it does interplay. There is correlation between what my mind thinks and what my brain does. Mm. Correct? Yeah. There is correlation between what I will to do and what I tell my body to do. So mm -hmm. there is correlation, but they're not the same thing. And I would recommend for people to read J.P. Moreland's The Soul. But there's also this very interesting guy. His name is Jeffrey Schwartz, and he is the research psychiatrist at the UCLA School of Medicine, and he is a uh, seminal thinker and researcher in the field of self-directed neuroplasticity. Um, this guy knows the brain, and he actually wrote a, bro a book called uh, The Mind and the Brain. He wrote another book called You Are Not Your Brain. <laughs> because there's a difference. There's a huge hmm. difference. Um, you can even read stories about people who were born with half a brain who are fully functioning. Yeah, how's that possible, true. right? People who've gone through traumatic uh, injuries and and had to have parts of their brain removed that are still functioning the same. Now, you also have people, like's mentioned in the question, who um, who have different uh, disorders in their physical brain, right? Chemical disorders. Mm -hmm. And those can also affect our soul because uh, we're complex. Yeah. It's not just one way, right? If there's something chemically wrong with me, my soul can become depressed and sad. Yeah. Right? And so medication is important at times to help us with the physical. But again, assessing what's going on is the problem. And sometimes people are being given medication for something that's not a physical problem. Yeah. Right. And true. sometimes people are just trying to pray away certain physical problems in their in their brain. Right. When they should be using medication. So, again, assessing what's going on is the key here. But I had a guy explain it like this, because you will say, well, what about people, you know, that are autistic 
or or have like schizophrenia or right. bipolar or yeah. all of these things, right? Um, is it just spiritual or is it just physical? Well, it's it's both, right? And assessing it's important. But uh, I heard a guy have it explained like this: Your soul's not broken because to be a human being is to have a human soul, mm. right? Yeah. Well, but but s- extremely autistic people can't communicate, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's certain there's certain types of disorders where where thinking is is really at a minimum. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean that they have a broken soul. It means they have a broken body. And mm-hmm. this this is this is how I had it explained to me. Imagine that you're in a car. Okay. And the car is broken and can only turn left. Huh. Even though you have the capability of taking your arms and hands and turning them to the right. The car's broken, and it can't. Hmm. That's what it's like sometimes for people who are in a broken body. And to be honest, that's, yeah. that, that is going to happen to all of us if we, if we die in our old age, right? We're literally slowly breaking down. The car is rusting, <laughs> yeah. right? Things are not working the same, but does our soul... Yeah, of course. No, yeah, our soul's the same, right? And so that that is a a good way I think of describing it. I, I've even I was reading a book on um, uh, near death experiences, which we need to have a whole episode on near death experiences. Oh, but yeah. uh, there was this guy, and he he couldn't communicate, and so he'd just kind of cry out uh, like an animal sounds. And another guy was praying for him, and then began to hear him just saying, "I'm here, like help me, somebody help me," right? And the wow. guy realized that he was he was screaming out as much as he could with his with his brain injury, mm. but he couldn't he couldn't cry out in an uh, intelligent, understandable way, uh. right? And and that that's the type of thing that that happens is is as our bodies break down, no matter when or how, yeah, uh, our soul is still there and intact. It just can't operate well because we're trapped in a broken car that can only turn left. Yeah. So our personhood, who we are is outside of this. It's always yes. there. Yeah. Yes. Well, and this has led me to think of some interesting things like and again, this is just this is just um dreaming a little bit, okay? Yeah. So I I'm not saying, "Oh, here's the chapter and verse for this." <laughs> but is it possible that we have more than 5 senses? I think it is. It's possible yeah. our soul has the capacity for more than 5. I mean, I've often thought, what if we have 15 different senses, but at the fall, 10 of them broke? Because our body's a broken car, mm. and we can't exhibit them. But in heaven, we'll realize there's well, more to our soul. Yeah. I, I, that's a well, real something possibility. something that's interesting to think about, and I think this is even verified a little bit scientifically. Scientifically, like we know that human beings are not using their brains to the fullest potential. Yep. That's so, right. So, so what would it be like? With our bodies fully restored, with our brains being used Ugh. at their full potential. Yeah, I, mean, I can't even so, imagine. So how much yeah. of our soul is just being held back right now because this body can't function in certain ways we mm-hmm. aren't even aware of? Yep, exactly. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Now, as for the part where what happens, what returns to the Lord, when mm. I say return, I don't know if I was ever, I wasn't with the Lord. There wasn't like a pre-existence of my soul. Right, I right. Was, I was, I was... Uh, came into existence in 1983. When you go right? home, right? Yeah. But when I go, go to be with the Lord, the Bible's pretty clear on this. To be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. Mm. So when our body dies, the, the Christian theology is our body goes into the ground and returns back to dust. Because that's what God said would happen. Mm. Because why? Well, because that's what we're made of, halfway. Half of us is dirt, half of us is God breath, right? That's true. 
when we die, our physicality goes into the ground and returns to dust because sin brings death. Right. But the hope for the Christian is in the resurrection, that one day Jesus will return and my body's going to come out of the grave. These bones, not mm. different ones, these ones are going to come out of the grave and my body and my soul are going to be put back into what I'm supposed to be. Mm. But when I die, my body goes into the ground and turns back into dust, awaiting the resurrection, and my soul, my immaterial part, goes to be with Jesus. Mm. All right. Yeah. So, so that's that's what we that's what yes. we believe. But it isn't an eternal state because to be a human being is to have a soul and a body, right? An immaterial part and a physical part. That's what a human being is, and that's what's so amazing about Jesus entering into humanity, <laughs> right? By taking on a body, uh, he became one of us and showed us what it's going to look like when our bodies get resurrected. Uh, yes, because he's the first fruits of what's to come. Scripture says so. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Just lots of really cool philosophical Again, sorry thoughts. to get real nerdy and deep, but it, no, but this it is, is good. fascinating. This is good. Right? And you so know, if people are out there and they want to yeah. learn more about this, I can't highly I mean, JP Mullen's book The Soul is mm. awesome. And then Jeffrey Schwartz, uh, who's at UCLA, he's he's a research psychiatrist. His his book You Are Not Your Brain is fantastic. Mm. Um Fantastic. Yeah, so yeah, I, I definitely highly recommend yeah. those. And uh, J.P. Moreland, especially too. Like I've I've met met him in person multiple times and like have had discussions with him. Like just oh, a he's super a great smart guy. guy. Yep. Yeah, love love. I was actually in in my metaphysics class with J.P. Moreland, and <laughs> Jeffrey Schwartz was in the class I was in. Really? But I didn't wow. know who it was <laughs> when I was in wow, class. Wow, no kidding. That's and crazy. I figured it out later. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> so anyway, wow. really good question. Um, let's move on to a really quick answer to the next question. Yes. Because yes. we could spend, and people have spent their entire lives talking about this. We we had a, like a conglomeration of questions about old earth, young earth, right, debates, mm -hmm. dinosaurs, lots of questions about dinosaurs, how they fit in. That is um, true. We had a couple of questions about, uh, it, was there a pre-edemic race, right, a race of humans before Adam? Um Neanderthals, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The big answer to this is we're not going to answer it because, <laughs> because it's so complex and, and we don't have time. Yeah, that would, like, you'd really have to break down a lot of different details into getting into yes. just, just the basic answer to this question. Yes, like, and, and, and the truth of it is there's there's Christians who believe yes. that the Earth's only six to 10,000 years old. But again, that's based on the genealogies of human beings, mm -hmm. right? And the assumption that it was only six days, where the old Earth guys would say, "No, the Earth's really, really old and ancient." Uh, but but mankind was made later in the Earth's history. Yeah. Right? So those are the views. And they translate day as yom, the Hebrew word yom could be translated as age, not as literal twenty-four hour day. Mm -hmm. But then you got a problem because. It's described 12 hours, right? Evening to morning is 12 hours, not 24 hours. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, there's just both sides have valid arguments and both sides have really big holes in them, I think. Mm. Um, there's some interesting work going on talking about a revelatory view of Genesis 1, which I think is is interesting. Uh, there's a guy, actually, I know his name's Tom Gender, and he wrote a book about it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's fascinating. If you want to get on Amazon, I think it's called Rethinking Genesis 1. Um, again, I don't know if I agree with it all. Uh, I'm still thinking through it. But when it comes to these issues, I hope that these don't rock people's faith. Oh, yeah. Because, Tyler, what is our faith based on? It's based on Jesus. Yeah. 
Jesus, yeah. not how that's what old we talked about is. in the other question. Yeah, it's yeah, not, it's based yeah. on Jesus, and if that dude rose from the dead, I should trust him. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so again, if the Earth's old, and human beings have been around for two hundred thousand years, Jesus still came out of the grave, and I can trust him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the Earth is young, right, <laughs> and you and and it's only six thousand years old. Jesus still came out of the grave, and I could trust yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, regardless, <laughs> so, regardless of yeah. where you land or what reality is about the origin of humans and the mm-hmm. earth, uh, Jesus still <laughs> rose, rose from the grave, so yep. we can trust him. Yep. Uh, that, I think that's, that's, that's huge. Key. Now, again, I don't believe in theistic evolution. I think, yeah, it's, a, I yeah. think it's a very—I um, don't think there's evidence for it, okay? But can you believe in theistic evolution and be a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you can. There's, because there's a you lot believe good... Jesus mm-hmm. rose from the dead and you're trusting in him. Yes, that's what it yeah. means to be saved, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this issue is just really a big debate. Now, now, one thing about it that is kind of a pet peeve of mine, and I've heard this from multiple sides of this argument. Right. People will say, well, if you don't trust what the first page of the Bible says, then you can't <laughs> trust any of it. Yeah. Nobody's not trusting that the Bible's legitimate. What they're doing is interpreting it differently. Yes. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. sometimes people will use it to say, my view is right because I just trust what it says. Listen, everybody trusts what it says. It's just they're trying to understand Mm -hmm. what it says. That's where the differences come. Does that make sense? Oh, of course it does. Yeah, I mean, well, like you said, we could go... Real, we could really dive into the text on uh, the pros and cons of both young and old earth, and you can see um, just like the, the... evidences that support each view as well as the issues with them but mm-hmm. regardless like you see like there's there's problems with both yeah you know we know that and, like through just thinking through all of the reasons and like answers that have been given from old earthers and young earth mm-hmm. but that regardless that doesn't mean that you aren't trusting in scripture Exactly. Because there's a lot of similarities between the two. Both believe that God created the heavens and the earth, right? Yep. Both believe that human beings are a special creation, not an evolved thing. Right. Old earth and new earth, right? Or old old earth and young earth, yeah, is what it's called. Yeah. Um, where theistic evolution, that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but old and young earth both agree, no, special creation intended by God, not evolved from primordial soup, right? Yeah, and th- those are the important distinctions to make. Mm-hmm. And so when you, as long as you have that foundation, then you re- you are taking the Bible for what it's saying, yes. right? That's what the, that's what Scripture says, and we everyone yes. agrees, and that that makes sense. Yep, it makes sense. Now, mm-hmm. all the specific details, is that's where you can really study and dig in, and it's enjoyable too, and we can love it God is, with yeah. our minds, and we can think like that. But when it when it alienates us from other Christians to the point where we're saying, well, you can't be saved if you don't believe in my view of, no, that's yeah. that's that's wrong, and that that's open handed, close handed issues. You're making right? claims that you don't believe in the rest of the Bible because you don't yeah. believe my view, my on view the first of thing. Genesis one. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's just not that's not good. Um, that's not that's not the that's not true. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what we where we want to leave that, and we might come back to that in the future. I've got a couple of friends who really love studying the origins of oh, the yeah. universe. Um, if you do want to get into a um, a book that talks about this, now again, uh, this book comes from an old Earth perspective, mm-hmm. okay? Because reasons to believe is an old Earth creation ministry uh, with Hugh Ross and Fuzz Rana, and they do right. a, a lot of good stuff. That's an old Earth 
creation uh, ministry. Now, a young earth one would be Answers in Genesis, right? Mm, That's with Ken Ham. They believe in a young earth. So I would encourage you to go look at both uh, resources, study, think through it. It's it's really interesting, but Fuzrana, with Reasons to Believe, which again is coming at it from an old earth perspective, Mm -hmm. he wrote a really great book called Who is Adam? Who was Adam? Excuse me. Who was Adam? And he gets into the origins of humans, and he talks about Neanderthals and all those types of things. Mm, okay. um, very important book to to think through um, because he's a, he's a scientist, um, and so he, right. he he goes through stuff that I've never heard before, <laughs> yeah. really in depth. So I would highly recommend that Fuzrana, um, who was Adam, really mm. great book. All right, moving on. Last question, Tyler. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the music to kick on. Dun, oh, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 I know. Dun, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good music. <laughs> Anything from that Can I era. This? Yeah, I love Oh, that's great. I want to play basketball now. I do. That sounds, oh, man. I it do pumped too. me up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question is, is kind of by two parts. We got a question from Sheena and then also from Brisa, our insiders. Sheena asked, How do we confirm the accuracy of the Old Testament? Hmm. And then Brisa sent a follow-up, and she said, yes, what is the historic evidence for the Old Testament? Most people will agree that Jesus and other New Testament characters were real, but how can we prove that Abraham, Moses, David, and others and their stories were real? Can Old Testament events be confirmed by other sources? Hmm. Short answer, yes. <laughs> right? Now, what, what, are, what are the types of sources we need to look for in order to see if the Old Testament was accurate? Yes. And basically, we turn to archaeology, mm-hmm. right? The study of uh, that area of the world, what we found uh, through Egypt, what we found through the Babylonian Empire, what we found through the Persian Empire. Yeah, evidence of the historical accounts that we have in Scripture. Exactly. That makes perfect sense. Exactly. Is the Old Testament just made up? Or are there actual pieces of evidence that confirm that it was recording accurate history? Well, there are a lot of, uh, of pieces of archaeology that confirm mm. the Old Testament. The first one I want to talk about is called the Tel Dan Stella. The Tel Dan Stella. Um, in 1994, <clears throat> archaeologists discovered this stella. It's, it's a monumental stone slab is what mm, it is, okay. all right? It's a, it's a piece of stone that has stuff carved into it. Uh, they found it near <clears throat> Tel Dan in northern Israel, uh, and it's from, are you ready for this? I'm oh, there ready. There it is again, the music. Ready. Are you ready, ready for, for this? this? Yeah. <laughs> it's from the 9th century BC. Mm. That's old. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a like long time 11,000 years old. No, not 11,000. 2,900 years old. Yeah. Yeah, That's old, yeah. right? Oh the ninth gosh. century, yeah, twenty nine hundred years ago. This rock is from that that Jeez. is carved into the Tel Dan Stella. Now, what it is is it is a uh, uh, stone a stella that was carved into by the Aramean king, uh, celebrating a victory over the armies of Israel. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and they found it in Tel Dan. It's it's in Dan. It's in the northern area of Israel because the king came down and he beat them in a military uh, victory. Mm. But what's important about this is on the stella, it bears the name the House of David. Mm. Now think about this. He's talking about the House of David. This confirms King David that he existed. That it was an established yeah. dynasty too. 
right? Mm, to mention yeah. like the house of David is is mentioning this dynasty of kings. Uh, does that yeah. make sense? It does, yeah. And this is really close to the time period in which David lived, mm. probably a hundred or so years afterward. That's crazy. So mm. we have hard evidence, literally hard because it's a rock, right? <laughs> that has evidence that wow. King David was a historic person. And this is again think how it was, was preserved after that long too. To, yeah, and it was uh, discovered yeah. 25 years ago. That's how recent this was discovered. Wow. So that establishes King David as being a historic person and the house of David as being a dynasty of kings. Wow. What else do we have? Well, uh, for a long time, there were skeptics about the Philistines that are mentioned in the Bible, right? Were they even a people group? Who were hmm. they? What's going on? However, in recent times, we have discovered um, pieces of archaeology that back up the Philistines as being a people group. Some of these have been discovered in the Temple of Ramses III at Thebes in Egypt, um, and uh, other artifacts have been discovered from them being a people who were a seafaring people from the Mediterranean mm. that came onto the shores of, of the Middle East, of where Israel was, mm. um, at, yeah. uh, at, at this time around, um, yeah, around the time that exactly the Bible talks about it, and that these cities that they built that the Bible uh, talks about are real coastal cities in Israel. Now, it, it goes even further than this, Tyler. I have seen, with my own eyes, at the British Museum, Philistine artifacts. <laughs> wow. Like tombs and weapons and all of this stuff. They have it there that they have now dug up saying, yeah, this is Philistine stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were a real people group. People for a long time said, oh, that's a made-up mythological. Nope. We found so much stuff <laughs> from the Philistines. Once again, wow. backing up the the truth and and the accuracy of what the Bible says. That's that's incredible. Another piece of archaeology that was found was when um, people found the ancient city of Nineveh. All right, mm. um, there were ruins uh, of Nineveh. One of one of these ruins they found was a wall relief which means uh, uh, um, walls that had been carved into, depicting a story, right? And this wall relief was depicting Sennacherib's defeat of the Israelite city of Lachish, okay? Mm, okay? Which is totally described in Scripture. It really happened. And I have seen, Tyler, this wall relief. It's, again, at the British Museum. They've actually set it up in a room and made it walls <laughs> so you can go watch it. And there's there's um, depictions of the Assyrians, who, that's who Sennacherib was the king of, um, impaling Jews on poles and attacking oh, the city. Yeah. It was a big-time uh, victory wow. for the Assyrians. And so they made this whole mural of it. Now, what's really interesting is there's also this thing called the Taylor Prism, and it's a prism that has a cuneiform carving into it, and it describes the victories of Sennacherib over different lands, okay? One of the writings is about his conquest of 46 outlying cities uh, in addition to, quote, walled fortresses and countless small villages uh, in Israel, in Palestine. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is that on this uh, Taylor Prism, which you should totally Google, look it up, and see the Taylor Prism. Again, this is different from the wall reliefs. Okay. Okay. The walls are like walls that have carvings in them. The prism is like kind of like a historical record they'd have on this like prism-shaped stone that they. they okay. Uh, gotcha. They recorded stuff on in in their language. Um. So. 
on the Taylor prism, there's the writings about these, these conquests of these cities in Palestine, and we read that Hezekiah, you remember Hezekiah was the king of Jerusalem. Yes. When Sennacherib mm-hmm. comes down, and he's going to lay siege to it and attack it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Isaiah says, listen, he's not going to beat us. God's given me a prophecy yes. that this isn't going to happen. Don't worry, right? But, but they're, they're sieging the city of Jerusalem, the Assyrians are, and everyone's freaking out. We're going to run out of food. We're going to run out of water. In the Taylor prism, uh, Sennacherib records that he, quote, uh, he, he shut up Hezekiah in Jerusalem, quote, like a bird in a cage. Hmm. That's what he said. That's what we did. We surrounded He's like a little bird in a cage, right? Wow. But then what's so crazy is that it's never recorded that they, they laid siege and beat Jerusalem. Mm. Think about this. There's yeah. no recordings in, in the Assyrian documents that they conquered the capital city of Israel. Okay. Now, think about this. They're making wall reliefs for, for conquering Lachish. Yeah. But they don't talk about at all anywhere conquering the capital city. Why? Huh. Yeah. Well, the Bible says because they didn't conquer the capital city. Huh. That they had to leave and they were being attacked, so they had to go back up north and fight a different war. And yeah. God yeah. protected Jerusalem. And That's it wasn't right. the Assyrians that laid siege to it. Eventually, it was the Babylonians. Do you remember that? I do. That's right. Again, what the Old Testament says, completely backed up by what the Assyrian documents and and wall reliefs say. Wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah, that's so fascinating. There's no contradiction. That kind of detail. Yeah. That's astounding. It is astounding. It's it's crazy. (laughs) Well, that leads me to believe that it's reliable that this actually happened, like the events that you're seeing, because we're physically seeing mm-hmm. evidence of it yep. today. And again, again, all the, all the right names of the Assyrian rulers, mm. right? Yeah. Again, the same goes with Babylonian stuff, with Nebuchadnezzar. All, we have all of those things. We have mm-hmm. walls that they built, gates. The gates of Babylon you can see to this day. I saw a part of it at the British Museum. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw a stone— that was the threshold stone for the temple in Babylon during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know what that means? That means Daniel walked across that thing I saw. That's incredible. Unreal, dude. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> like it, yeah. It's, Daniel it himself chills. walked across yeah. this. Yeah. You can go see this yeah. stuff. Why? Because the Bible is accurate. The Old Testament is recording accurate history of what happened. And it's corroborated yeah. by other historical documents and archaeology. Another piece of archaeology we found, um, and again, I wish we had 100 years to go over all of it. We, yeah, <laughs> we don't, so right? Much. But another one that we found is called the, Mo- the Moabite Stele. Mm. Um, the Moabite Stella. Um, this is a stone that was cut around 850 B.C. So again, way before Christ, right? 850 B.C. And it was uh, cut down by Mesha, who was a Moabite uh, a ruler, and in this Stella, he talks about uh, his conquests and his reacquisition of certain territories that were taken by Israel. Mm. Moabite, again, they're mentioned in Scripture, right? Yeah. He goes on. It, it's, it's 30 lines of text. It's approximately 260 words in this Stella. And Mesha, the, the, the ruler of Moab, he mentions that Omri was the king of Israel who had oppressed Moab, but then Mesha himself says he, quote, saw his desire upon Omri's house and upon his house. 
Omri is mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. And wow. this okay. this this accurately get fits that time period of when Omri was was the king. So again, you just <laughs> you see uh, co- corroboration with the biblical texts. Uh, and again, on and on and on. We again, I've got more stuff here, but uh, this podcast is already over an hour. Wow. So we, this, this we, is incredible, though. It, it is just, incredible. Yeah, there's so much evidence for the Old Testament. Yeah, so much evidence for it. Not to mention, we didn't even talk about. Oh, by the way, you can go to Jericho today. <laughs> yeah, and you can yeah. dig it up, and there's actually a layer of ash, a, a layer where they they are pretty sure is when Joshua attacked the city and the walls fell in, and it's all there archaeologically. Wow. Right. Yeah. Uh, people use archaeologists use the Bible to find stuff. I don't know if you knew that. I have actually. But it's I've heard so of that. accurate. It's so crazy. They use it as like a guidebook. It's yeah, like a treasure and map. Think, and to think that archaeologists use the Bible as like a as a map in that sense, that, that, that even in itself gives it more credibility because they use it as a guide. It's like a blueprint to discovering more evidence in archaeology because there's so much archaeology already yep. found in the Bible. That's just incredible. Yep. Yeah. One last one I want to share. It's, there's this, there's a piece of archaeology. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder. It was mm. found in 1879 in Babylon, and on this cylinder, it's a it's a clay cylinder. King Cyrus of Persia, remember him from the Bible? Yeah. King Cyrus of Persia had this inscribed with some of his deeds, some of the things that he did. He talks about his victory over the city of Babylon, which again. The Bible describes that. That happened during Daniel's lifetime. Remember the yes, the, the Persian, the Medes, Persians came in and took over the Babylonian Empire. Mm-hmm. Cyrus, which is what set them free. Yep, Cyrus mm-hmm. becomes their king. Well, and that's what's interesting. You remember what happens is the Israelites are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They were deported, yeah. uh, not deported. They were well, they, they were, were sent taken. Back. Yeah. Well, they were originally Babylon took over Judah and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm and took them captive back to Babylon. Right. That's what happened with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yeah, yeah. Then um, Persia comes in and wins, and in the Bible it says that they allowed them to go back. Remember? Rebuild their temple, rebuild Mm -hmm. the wall, all of that stuff. Remember that? Yeah. The Cyrus Cylinder records that. Wow. This is crazy. Let me read to you a little of what the Cyrus Cylinder says. All right, this is what it says. This is Cyrus himself. I returned to these sacred cities on the other side of the Tigris, the sanctuaries of which have been in ruins for a long time, the images which used to live therein, and I established them for permanent sanctuaries. Do you hear what he's saying? I let them go back and rebuild all of their sanctuaries. <laughs> I let the people go back <laughs> and reinstitute their, their um, religion. And that is what Cyrus did, according to the Bible, and it's what he records himself doing uh, to the people that were on the other side of the Tigris. Is that fascinating? That is. That's incredible. So once again, we have corroboration with what Scripture says. It's accurately describing history. So I think we can know that the Old Testament is is accurate. Now, I think the biggest reason I believe it's accurate is because a guy who rose from the dead said it was accurate. Mm. Right, that's I, I, yeah. I'm hanging my hat on that. That's all what we're saying. Yeah, that's everything. That's, that's everything. everything to it. But we also have additional evidence from archaeology and from King Cyrus. Think about this. Mm, yeah. from, from King Sennacherib of the Assyrians, from King Cyrus of the Persians, from King Mesha of the Moabites, and on and on and on. 
from all these kings. It's crazy, yeah. man. I mean, it really is crazy. Uh, and, and again, there's so much more we could talk about. There's oh, other yeah. obelisks in Stella where we have depictions of, uh, I think it's a Jehu bowing down to a king, um, on and on. There's, there's so many different pieces of archaeology that back up what Scripture says happened. Yeah, so, that's so fascinating. Though, yeah, too. so I think that we can know that the Old Testament is accurate and that <laughs> yeah. the people from it were real people. Another thing, too, is that when you read about the people in the Old Testament— they don't seem very cool, like in the sense that they're not like folklore superheroes like um, Greek mythology. Mm, yeah. They they make dumb mistakes, and they seem pretty human. Even <laughs> King David, right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's crazy. Samson, like he's he's this strong, you know, people say, well, he's like Hercules. He's not, he's a fool. Yeah. He keeps messing up. <laughs> he keeps making mistakes. He keeps disobeying God, you know? Um, there's There's... It just screams authentic when you read about these people because you go, yeah, I know people like that, or I am a person like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that's so That's so good. Seeing just like the personhood behind each of these biblical heroes, mm-hmm. that's that's a good point because you can see that that they're just like everyone else. They're, yep. they're sinners, and that's the that's the case of it. We're, they're li- they lived, too, in the same fallen, broken world that we do. Yep, and if you were going to make up stories, you wouldn't make up stories where everybody's doubting the God they're trying to get you to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a bad way to go about convincing people of your religion, you mm, know? Yeah. So, well, those are all the questions we got um, that we had time to answer today. Thank you all so much mm. for sending in questions. Um, it was really fun researching and thinking through uh, and talking about uh, all of these yeah. doubts or yeah. questions about the faith that we've had, uh, but there are answers. And um, if you're one of the insiders who sent us a question, we, we really want to encourage you, keep seeking mm. answers, right? Uh, we hope we've kind of whet your appetite for it. Yes. But we hope it propels you to go and dig deeper into these issues. Yeah, and hopefully that cup of coffee lasted you through the whole episode. Because, see, see, that's the thing. That was <laughs> that was why we gave that coffee tip, because there was just so much to unpack. It's so much. To sit back, buckle up, and enjoy your coffee. So now you can you can unbuckle. You can kind of like <laughs> you can let relax. your hair down. You can, yeah. Yep. You can. <laughs> you can put some cream in that black coffee. <laughs> yeah. You can. Yeah. And because now we're gonna slow things down and uh, come to an end with this episode. But yeah, thank you again for listening all the way through. And uh, um, thanks again, like Robbie said, to the insiders for these questions. It's just so much fun to uh, bre- break down all of these doubts or questions and ideas that we have about Christianity, and then seeing that there's evidence for what we believe. Yep, hopefully it's encouraged you to be confident in your faith and then to be equipped to go out and to share your faith with other people. That's Mm, what we're trying to do with apologetics. It's not just about head knowledge and feeling good about what you believe. It is about knowing what you believe and having confidence, but it it should push us to go tell other people, hey, this is the truth for all Mm -hmm. people. It's not just, you know, as our culture says, my truth, whatever that means. No, it's the the truth, and we all need to follow what's true, and Jesus Mm, is the way and the truth and the life. So thanks again for being with us today. We will do another uh, Q&A episode in the future, Yes, but uh, it will be for the insiders. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you join our Facebook group of Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders, and then follow us on Instagram too we're doing a lot of stuff on there promoting things um, and uh, yeah we'd love for you to follow us on there yeah that'd be great you want to tease them a little bit about next week's episode Tyler yes so I'm going to be uh, kind of giving a a little hint hint, uh, some little hints here and there on our social media pages is what's going to happen but 
Next week, we are going to have a very, very special guest, apologist. Yes. Come and speak on our podcast. I'm so excited about this apologist coming to speak because I yes. have read their books. I have, I'm, I'm a super nerd, so I've literally bought uh, classes they've taught <laughs> on video and watched them and <laughs> oh, that's I, so great. Yeah. yeah so i am i can't wait until next week when we get to talk with this apologist yes so uh be we're leaving you in anticipation we will reveal on our social media accounts next week who this person is mm-hmm. um it's going to be very very exciting so stay tuned for that you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss it but thanks for being with us today and yeah make sure to tune in next week when we talk with our very very, very special guest. Thanks for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.